I have a good friend. His name is Ken Strong. And Ken has been blind all of his life. He told me he wasn't actually born blind, but there were some difficulties uh, at his birth, and they had to put him on oxygen. And as he has related to me, one of the uh, problems or side effects when a, a newborn gets that pure oxygen is that it can cause blindness. And so for all practical purposes, Ken has been born blind uh, from birth, basically. I met Ken when I lived in Oklahoma City, and Ken is a huge Oklahoma Sooners fan. Uh, they lost yesterday. I'm sorry, Ken. Um, but they are known as the Crimson and Cream. That's their, their colors. He knew that I was from Tennessee, found out that I was um, a Tennessee volunteer fan. He said, oh, you guys are the big orange. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, but that differs from from the University of Texas. That's not a bright orange, that's a burnt orange. And I said, well, that's right. Uh, he's a huge sports fan. One day I asked him, I said, Ken, you, you talk about these colors as if you are a sighted person. You talk about the crimson and cream of, o, of OU and you talk about bright orange of Texas and the burnt orange, the, the bright orange of Tennessee, the burnt orange of Texas and all these other colleges, I said, You've never seen color. What is it that you are thinking about when you say these things? And he says, Rod, he says, I don't know. He said, I just have this, this idea that when someone says red, that's like a, a bright, vivid color. So he says, I conjure up, I guess, something in my mind that, that would make me think of that. And when I think about orange and burn orange, I hear people tell me the difference in that. So I just have something... Uh, in my mind, I guess, when I, when I say those things. I, turn, I tuned into the Tennessee game yesterday, over 100,000 people wearing bright orange and, and, and white there in the stands, and the, the checkerboard of the end zone is, is orange and white. And I thought to myself, any five-year-old who goes to the game, who sees all of this uh, sea of, of, of orange, any five-year-old would know infinitely more about the color orange than does my friend Ken. Not that the five-year-old is any smarter than my friend. Ken is a brilliant man. But Ken has never seen orange. He's never experienced crimson and cream. But any five-year-old that can see would know infinitely more than does Ken. It's only in experiencing something that you can say, I think I understand that. I think I begin to understand what that means. And that's the truth with discipleship. The only way that we can truly understand what Jesus calls us to become is to actually experience it. You can read, uh, you can study, you can know a lot about the Bible, but until you obey the text, when you obey the text, you know infinitely more about God and his desires for you.
You know, obedience, obedience has sort of fallen on hard times these days. Um, it's almost become a bad word, obedience. You know, used to, um, when I was a kid growing up in school, we actually had classes. I didn't go to a, a private Christian school. I went to just a public, a public elementary school, public junior high, public high school. Especially when I was in elementary school, they would give us classes on what it meant to be a good citizen. Anybody remember that? Well, what does it mean to be a good citizen? We're not talking about religious things necessarily, but just what would it mean to be a good citizen living here in Jeffersonville? Someone that is, is steadfast and is loyal, someone who doesn't lie or steal, someone who is faithful. Those things used to be common virtues that, that everyone uh, thought were, were a good thing, but those things aren't in vogue as much anymore. Obedience has kind of gotten a bad, a bad rap. And I know that we're saved by grace through faith. That, that's Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We're saved by grace through faith. But in Scripture, listen to me, faith is always a faith that responds in obedience. It's always a faith that responds in obedience. We've been talking in, in the book of Romans that Abraham believed in God, and, he was, and that belief was credited to him as righteousness. But that faith was credited as righteousness when Abraham actually did what God called him to do, when he obeyed God. Had Abraham not obeyed God, we would just say he didn't really have faith in God. Because had he obeyed, uh, had faith in God, he would have obeyed. He would have done what God asked him to do. Obedience in Scripture, faith responds in obedience. And when Jesus calls us to be disciples, he is actually calling us to do something. Not just an intellectual assent. Yes, I believe, but Jesus is actually calling us to do something. Luke chapter 9, if anyone wants to follow me, Jesus says, a lot of people wanted to follow Jesus because maybe they might see a miracle. Maybe they might get their, their stomachs filled again by a free lunch, a buffet. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, he must, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Hmm. Maybe I don't want to follow Jesus. That sounds like I'm going to have to do something. Sounds like I'm going to have to deny myself some of the things I like. Sounds like I'm going to have to die to myself if I want to follow Jesus. What I want to talk to you about this morning is discipleship, but not just discipleship, obedience-based discipleship. It's really the only kind of true discipleship that there is, <laughs> obedience-based 
based discipleship. Obedience is a beautiful word. Uh, my wife and I got to go to Europe a couple of years ago with, with her, her family. I told you we, we saw all these kind of castles talking about where, you know, the kings and queens of old lived. And my wife has been, um, she, she kind of put this in my mind years ago, that if you had a king who really loved you, not a tyrant, not a despot, not someone who was an egomaniac, but if you had a king who really loved you, who always had your best interest at heart, who did everything in the kingdom to, to, to help you, to feed you, to nurture you, to give you everything that you truly needed, always had your best interest at heart. It would be so easy to obey a king like that, wouldn't it? Knowing that, that you came under his protection, that if something, that some enemy rose up against you, that that king was going to be there with his army to fight for you, to, to take care of that, to win that battle, it would be actually a joy to live for a king like that, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be hard to obey. If the king said to do this, you would say, look, look at what all he's done for me. Look at what he continues to do for me, how he protects me, how he loves me. Obedience to a king like that would come naturally. Obedience is a beautiful thing when you trust your king. So I want us to look at Matthew chapter 28. We know this is the Great Commission. I said it Wednesday, often two times it has become the great omission in our lives. But these are Jesus' last words in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And any time you come upon someone's last words, uh, it, it's a pretty important thing. These are the last words that Matthew records in his Gospel. And I guarantee you, if you have a chance... Uh, we don't always get this chance, but upon your deathbed, if you have the chance to speak some last words to the people that are around you, I guarantee you it will not be what was the score of the game yesterday, what's the score going to be this afternoon. If you have a chance to speak final words, you're going to say something that is very important, something that has to do with love, relationship, so the word, these last words of Jesus in Matthew are very important. Look with me. As was read earlier, then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Notice this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Read that with me. All authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. Jesus wants you to recognize that he has all authority. We only have one king, one king, 
and he's always right. When Jesus says, when, when you say Jesus is king, when, when the early church in Rome said that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, do you know what they were also saying? They were saying that Caesar is not king. Uh-oh. <laughs> you see, when they said Jesus is Lord, they're saying Caesar is not Lord. He's not our king. And when you and I say Jesus is king, that has really answered all other questions. All other questions. Because it's not whether or not, it's not whether or not we're going to do it. It's just a matter of how. How are we going to accomplish it? Just think about it like when a, when a husband and a wife come together. <clears throat> He says, I do. She says, I do. And the preacher says, done. They come together. And all other questions have been answered. It's not whether or not I'm going to have a girlfriend on the side, whether or not I'm going to have a, a, an extra lover over here. It's not whether or not we have forsaken all others. We don't always live up to that, but that's what we should aspire to. When we say Jesus is our king, and he says, all authority has been given to me, so I want you to do some things, we don't ask ourselves whether or not we're going to do them. Now the question is how? How are we going to accomplish this? How are we going to get it done? Because he has all authority, and he's always right. All authority has been given to me. Now notice. Well, first of all, we need to surrender. Surrender to the authority of Jesus. He is our king. He's always right. Now notice. Because he has been given all authority, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. If our churches are going to survive... We must recapture discipleship. Do you know that every week in this country, a church of Christ closes its doors forever? Did you know that? Not, and, and not just this fellowship that we know of as churches of Christ. There is some church, multiple churches, across what we might call, you know, all believers in Christ, who are closing their doors every day, never to reopen. If we're going to survive, folks, we must recapture discipleship. The New Testament uses the word disciple or some form of disciple, discipleship, 297 times. The word Christian is used just a couple of times, two or three times in all of Scripture. But the word disciple is used almost 300 times. It's a very, very important word in Scripture. And literally, it's just doing to others what Jesus did to his disciples. It's entering into another person's life to help them come to Christ and then to help them to become more like him every day. You're, you're, you're coming alongside someone 
to bring them to Christ, and then to help them to become more like him. Often two times we, uh, oftentimes we discount members. We're, we're, we're really worried about our membership. How many members do we have? How many people show up to this place every Sunday? We don't just need members. What we need are disciples. A disciple is someone who denies himself, who takes up his cross, who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who is following Christ, who is being changed by Christ, and who has joined the mission of Christ. That's what a disciple is. We don't need more members. What we need are more disciples. And if we aren't making disciples, this is hard, guys. If we are not making disciples, we are not like Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. And so secondly, we've got to embrace the mission of King Jesus. He's told us to go and to make disciples. We need to embrace that and begin to obey it. Next, he says, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, we're, Lord willing, we're going to talk about Romans chapter 6 next week in my Bible class. Romans 6 is, is, is such a powerful passage that really talks about what baptism is, what it means to be buried with Christ, to be raised with him. Um, Titus 3.5 says that you were saved by the mercy of God, he, and he did that through the washing of rebirth and renewal in the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a beautiful, beautiful thing, a necessary thing in our lives. But I think what I want you to think of now is not just the physical act of being immersed into Christ, but we as disciples have got to be immersed in all things God. Our lives need to be immersed in the Father. We need to be immersed in Jesus. We need to be immersed into all things of the Holy Spirit. It's not about a program, it's not about some technique, but it's about being immersed into all that God says, all that he is, and all that he wants from us. So, immerse yourself in the life of King Jesus. If you want to be his disciple, you have to be immersed in, into all things Jesus. Notice now what he says. And teaching them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Once we follow Jesus, obedience is how we come to understand him. I really realized this when I went to Africa for the first time. I, I had done mission work in, in um, Ghana, uh, Guyana, South America. I'd done mission work in, in Honduras. But it wasn't until I went to, to West Africa that this really became real to me. Jesus said to go into all the world. And so I try to take that seriously. Not everybody uh, is able to go into, into foreign places. Not everybody should go. Uh, I've taken people uh, to Africa with me that 
frankly, I wish I hadn't. I wish they hadn't gone. Um, they, they made it a mess of things while they were there. There is also something known as um, culture shock. Uh, an individual that I took basically spent two weeks crying um, because they couldn't get over the shock of the culture. Um, you need to stay home, pray for us, send money, but don't go, you know. But when I first really responded um, to this idea of going, I'm able, I'm capable, I was desirous. Being obedient to that scripture began to open my mind, unlock doors for me. I may have told you this before, but about five or six years ago, I took a man who was raised in the church. He's a deacon in the church. His brother's an elder, uh, teaches classes, just a, a really neat guy. He wanted to see what this work in Africa was all about. I said, come on, come with me. So he came. We began preaching the gospel day in, day out, day in, day out. By the way, there's been over 3,000 baptisms the last two weeks in Togo because of the efforts of, of, of your brothers and my brothers going over there and, and, and preaching the gospel. Over 3,000 new uh, babes in Christ worshiped already today. But when I took this guy, we got back home to East Texas. He said, Rodney, I've been preaching this gospel multiple times a day, every day in these villages. And he said, I realized it came to me that I have never truly obeyed that gospel myself. Raised in the church all my life. Been to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, you know, all my life, deacon in the church, and he said, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I have been preaching this gospel, trying to get these people in Africa to respond, and he says, I realized I had not ever truly understood and obeyed that. So as a man in his early 50s, <laughs> he took the plunge, man. We, we took him down baptized him. Um, was his first baptism good and valid? I don't know. God knows. But in his heart, he said, I, I never responded. When you, when you start to obey the text, it, it, it comes alive. It's no longer just words on a page. It's no longer just some command that God has said. It's, not, it's no longer something that you don't really understand why he said it or what it's for, but when you just obey it, all of a sudden you begin to know God infinitely more. It's as if he opens your mind. It's as if the Holy Spirit raises the ceiling and now your capacity to, your capacity to understand God is greater than it's ever been. And it's just because you've been obedient. You've obeyed the text. You've actually put it into practice. You're not just a hearer of the word, but you're a doer of the word. When you began to obey, discipleship becomes a joy. God begins to take you on a roller coaster ride and adventure like you have never been on. And the ride is exciting. Oh my goodness. The ride is a joy. So, 
Simply obey the teaching of King Jesus. He's your king. He knows what's best. He's not asking anything of you that he wasn't willing to do himself, that he didn't model. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach some classes on discipleship, hopefully uh, on a Wednesday night. Everybody, that after the ladies' class is done, after the class on parables is done, I want everybody that's uh, interested to, to come to my class. We're going to talk about obedience-based discipleship. And one of the principles that we're using there in, in Africa, West Africa, uh, is, is the reason why the kingdom is exploding. Because we're not just baptizing people, but we're training them to be disciples. Disciples, now that you've heard the gospel, you need to make disciples. And so we, we use this mall principle, M-A-W-L, mall. What we do is we model it to them. We come alongside of them, and we model what it looks like to disciple, what it means to teach or, or to, to proclaim the gospel. We model it, and then what do you do? You assist. Think about an apprenticeship. Years ago, a lot of jobs would use uh, an apprenticeship program where somebody comes along and they, they study underneath the master, the master builder or, or teacher, uh, blacksmith, whatever it is, cabinet maker. They come, you model it to them, and then you assist them. You allow them to do some of the work, but you're right there to help them and assist. After you assist, then you step back and you watch. They got to start doing it on their own sometime, right? So you step back and you watch them do it. And then the L is you leave. You've modeled it. You've assisted them. You watch them. And now it's time for you to leave so that they can do it. You remember what Paul said to Timothy? He said, entrust yourself to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, that's discipleship. You're investing in the life of someone to bring them to Christ, to walk alongside them, to help them become more like Christ, and then so that they can go out and do it to someone else, hopefully many more times. Obey the, obey the teachings of King Jesus. Lastly, look at this. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In the original language, this word surely is the word behold. Some of you may have that in your Bibles. And behold, I am with you always, uh, even to the end of the age. That word is a verb, and it literally means to see. He's saying, see, see me, see that I am with you. When you go out there and knock on a door, you're not by yourself. Guess what? Jesus says, I'm right there with you. When you go across the, uh, the pond to Africa, you're not going on out there in that village by yourself. Guess what? Jesus says, behold, see that I am with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you every step of the journey. He says, look for me. I am with you. And I think oftentimes we don't see Jesus because we're just not looking for him. But it's amazing when you begin to look and you say, well, what is the Spirit of God doing in my life? Where is Jesus showing up in my life? When you become cognizant of the fact that he is with you, 
all of a sudden you begin to see him everywhere. You begin to see him in the smile of a young child. You begin to hear and see Jesus in laughter when, when brothers and sisters are together. You begin to see him, see people around you being made in the God's image. It's all around us if we just look for it. We began to see that, behold, he is with us. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And it's just up to us to obey. It's pretty simple. It's as simple as that. Behold the presence of King Jesus in your life. <clears throat> a little five-year-old who's ever been to a Tennessee football game knows infinitely more about the color orange. And it's not a pretty orange. I'll, I'll just tell you that. It goes with nothing else. Am I right? It, it goes with nothing. You can't just wear it out every, any day you want to. It just, you stick out like a sore thumb. It's not like navy or crimson, it's, it's, and it's really not a pretty orange. But we did win yesterday. A five-year-old who, who's, who's been to the game knows more about orange than my friend Ken, who's never seen it because he cannot experience it. When will we begin to obey the text? We say, I believe it. I believe it's the Word of God. I believe it's inspired by God. When will we obey it and say, God, you said it, I'm going to do it? Not a matter of whether or not, but it's a matter of how. I know you want to. I believe. I believe that you want to. And by God's power and the power of his spirit, we are going to be trained and equipped so that we can do it. And I guarantee you, God will give the increase. God will give the increase. I want you to see God in your life. I want you to behold him. If you need to obey the gospel this morning, this morning, now is the time. Um, if you have never obeyed the text, not just this text, but other texts, and you say, what? You know what? I've, I've kind of been professing with my mouth, but I've not been backing it up with my life. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Let's just confess that to God and say, I need help. I want to be more like Jesus.